0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living.
1: What God sees is not your failures, but what God sees is your successes. And what God is going to base your future on, your eternity, your heavenly country, your prepared city and your prepared place is not on your failures, but on your successes.
0: The book of Hebrews tells us that faith is the substance of things we hope for, things we don't see, we can't see. When we walk in faith and trust in the words and promises of our awesome God, then we're able to receive everything God has for us, and He wants to bless us beyond what we ever hoped for. We continue our study through Hebrews chapter 11 with Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson.
1: Father, we want to thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have preserved it from generation to generation, even as Your Word in Psalms tells us. And we know that there's not going to be a generation that doesn't have Your Word. Every generation will have it. And we're thankful that we can open it up to hear what You have to say because we are interested in You. We study the Scriptures not so we can learn them, but so that we can learn of Jesus whom they speak of. And we pray that You would speak to us today about faith. Help us to receive all that you have for us. Let us not go through this life just kind of stumbling along, not receiving what you have, but learning to be men and women of faith who receive what you want for us. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're gonna pick it up at verse eight. But before we do that, just a couple of quick comments before we get into our text. First of all, I think that It is easy for us to confuse confidence with faith. When we talk about faith and we're looking at Abraham, our father of faith, and faith lessons from Abraham, I think is what I ended up calling the study because I couldn't get creative and finally, you know, settled for (laughs) faith lessons from Abraham. But it is easy for us to confuse confidence with faith and think if I am not confident in my walk with God or if I lack confidence or if I wonder whether or not it's really going to work, then that's not faith and I might as well give up right now. But it's important for us to understand that faith and confidence are not the same thing. That faith is even though you might struggle, even though you might have doubts, even though you may lack confidence, faith is when you do the right thing because God said to do it. That is faith. It reminds me of the story that Jesus told about two different sons. The father went to one of them and said, I want you to do something for me. And the first son said, no, dad, I ain't going to do it. And he left to talk to his other son and said, I want you to do this for me. And that son said, yeah, Dad, I'll do it. The son who said he would do it ended up not doing it. And the son that said that he wouldn't do it ended up doing it. And Jesus asked this question. Who is the son that was obedient to his father? The one that said that he wouldn't do it and ended up doing it or the one that said that he would and didn't do it? And the answer is the one who did it. Because what matters is whether or not you do it, not whether or not you said you're going to do it but whether or not you did it. See, confidence is not the same as obedience, and we confuse that. We think, I struggle, I have doubts, I don't have great confidence, but the question is whether or not you're gonna end up doing that very same thing. Now, we learned in the beginning of chapter 11 that faith is the evidence and faith is the substance of things we hope for and things we don't see. In other words, the way that we're going to get our hands around what we don't see and what we hope for is by faith. Living in this world, we say, I'll believe when I see, and I'm not going to believe until I see. Seeing is the evidence of things hoped for, for us here on this earth and things not seen, but not so with God. You have to believe in order to have the substance. You're never gonna get a hold of it unless you believe. Faith is the door by which you receive what God has in store for you. And faith is that means by which we receive. There's one phrase here in this text that I think really helps us, and it's a phrase speaking about Sarah, Abraham's wife. Look at verse 11. By faith... Sarah herself also received strength to conceive. Note that she received. That's what faith does. And note that it says Sarah also received. Abraham received and Sarah also received. That's what faith does. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God has things for you to do. God has things he wants you to do in your life and you may never see them because you might not have the faith to be able to achieve them. There are those that God has plans and purposes for, but they never experience what God has because they don't have enough faith to receive it. When we walk in faith, which is trusting in what he has said, believing that he is faithful to his promises, we receive all that God has for us. Now, there are three areas in our study that we're going to learn about faith from Abraham. First of all, we're going to learn that God asked Abraham to leave the world that he knew and to go to somewhere that he didn't know. The second thing that we see is that God promises that there's gonna be a miraculous event in his life, that God's gonna do something for him, even though he's beyond the age of that happening. He's gonna have a child at 100 years old, okay? He's gonna have a child when he's old. We're not just talking about old, we're talking old, okay? The third thing that we see is that God asked him to sacrifice that son that he had received, and there's confusion with Abraham. God promised it was gonna be through Isaac that the seed was gonna come. That is, Jesus, the most influential man that this world would ever see, and that's unarguable. There's no one who can argue. Who would even come close to influencing the world the way that Jesus influenced the world? John Lyddon at one point had said that he had become more famous than Jesus. What do you think about that now, John? By far, Jesus has influenced the world more than anyone else. And Abraham's confused. You want me to sacrifice him, but you said the seed was coming through Isaac. He's confused. And in that, he has to step forward in faith in the midst of his confusion. And we will learn from each one of them what it means to really walk in faith. Now, we start in verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 11 where it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. The thing that strikes me in verse eight is the first four words, by faith, Abraham obeyed. If you know anything about the life of Abraham, you know that God called him to leave when he was in the land of Ur And he left and went to Haran and stayed there for 25 years before he went to the land of Canaan where God brought him. He had a hesitation. He had a pause. In fact, it's more than a hesitation. It's more than a pause. It's a homestead. It's 25 years. God tells him, leave your father and mother and your family and go to the land that I've showed you. He brings his mom and dad, takes him to Haran and stays there for 25 years. And isn't it amazing that God doesn't even bring it up? God doesn't say, by faith, Abraham obeyed after he went to Haran for 25 years. God just forgets all about the stutter step. He forgets all about the pause. He forgets all about the homesteading. And this is a beautiful thing about faith. It's a beautiful thing that we learned earlier in the book of Hebrews, that God, by the sacrifice of Jesus, remembers our sins no more, that he saves us to the uttermost, and what God sees is the positive in our lives. And aren't you glad about that? What God sees is not your failures, but what God sees is your successes. And what God is going to base your future on, your eternity, your heavenly country, your prepared city and your prepared place is not on your failures, but on your successes So that here, when we're studying Abraham, he says, and Abraham obeyed when God told him to leave his country and go to one that I was going to show him. Now, I think that's why Abraham becomes the father of faith. Abraham is not the father of faith because he has such tremendous, awesome faith. In fact, Abraham stutters all along the way. As soon as he gets into the land that God showed him, there's a famine in the land. You would think a great man of faith would say, "I'm going to stay here in this country and I'm going to, you know, ride out this famine because God's faithful." Nope, he packed up the family and moved them to Egypt. And when he got there, he said to his wife, "You're really pretty. You're really, really pretty. You're really pretty." And I'm afraid they're going to kill me to get you. So would you say you're my sister instead? Then when Pharaoh sees Sarah, he goes, "You're really pretty." You're really, really pretty. I want you in my harem. And next thing you know, she's in the harem and God has to intervene. You know what happens? Abraham leaves with more stuff. You would think that with all this lack of faith, God would, you know, kind of slap Abraham around some and say, now you get back up there to Canaan where I told you you're supposed to be. But here Abraham comes. We got more things than when we left. And he goes back up. That God blesses him even more, even though he just still has another stutter step of faith. The reason that Abraham is our father of faith is not because he had this great unbending faith. He struggles on every level. He struggles through it all. But the reason he is the father of faith is because he's just like you, just like me. Because he has a lack of confidence. Because he struggles with doubt and yet he doesn't. And that becomes an example to us not to quit and not to give up. Because we struggle and we have lack of confidence and we struggle with doubts. And so we will receive what God wants for us. And the reason he becomes our father of faith is because God asked you to leave the world you know and to go someplace that you don't know. You are not supposed to live in this world. You and I are not supposed to be attached to this world. We as Christians are to give up our connections to this world because we are no longer from it. You're only passing through. You're just a sojourner. You're just a pilgrim, the Bible says. Doesn't mean you have a buckle on your hat and shoot turkeys. It means that you're a pilgrim because you're passing through. And some of you guys go, oh, no, I own property here. I own my home. Well, chances are you don't really own your home. A bank owns your home. Chances are, okay? Some of you guys might actually own it because you paid the bank off, but I doubt it. (laughs) Most of us here, we the bank really owns it. But even if you own that home, what's gonna happen when you die is your kids are gonna fight about it, sell it, split it up, and spend it on things you don't want them to spend it on. Why? Because it's not yours. You're just using it. And sooner or later, someone's gonna get those resources and it's gonna be used on things you wouldn't be happy with with them using it sooner or later. If it's not your kids, it's your grandkids. If it's your grandkids, it's your great-grandkids. Whatever it is, you're passing through here, whether you realize it or not. You might say, no, not me. This is my home. Oh no, you're passing through. If you don't believe that, just look at a picture of yourself from 10 years ago. You're passing through at a high rate of speed. <laughs> I know that by experience, All right, We are passing through here, and God's asked you to go somewhere where you don't know. He's asked you for a future that you don't know. He's asked you to give up your life, lay it down, pick up your cross and follow me, and go to a country that you don't know what it's all about. The thing about the Christian life is you have expectations about Christianity, and they aren't always met. It's like marriage. It's been a few years since I've done uh, weddings. I don't do them anymore. I used to do them and I I used to have counseling sessions I would do for those who I was marrying. I would add seven of them. One of them was on conflict resolution. There's a couple that's getting ready to get married. They come to me and they say, hey, would you marry us? And sure, but I need you to do these classes with me. And so in the very beginning of conflict resolution, I would ask them, have you guys had a big fight yet? Periodically, the couple would say to me, we love each other. We don't fight. We would never fight, to which I would know you guys are in for a big surprise. I would say, nevertheless, let's talk about conflict resolution. How do you handle a conflict? How do you come to an end of the conflict? How do you forgive out of a conflict? How do you do those things? When me and my wife were married, she was about ready to turn 20, and I was about ready to turn 22, but we were young. We'd known each other for a year and a half. We'd kept ourselves pure. We had all these expectations for our marriage. I remember our first blow up. We were in our apartment. It was our first apartment. we gotten in a fight. and Wah! Next thing you know, she walked out the door, down the steps, and down the street. And I'm following her in my Jeep. Honey, would you get in the car? I'm not going to get in the car. Please get in the car. I'm not going to get in the car. I'm sorry. Would you get in the car? I'm not going to get in the car. Come on, honey, get in the car. I fall out a mile, two miles, three miles. Now I realize I'm the only person in this room that's ever had that experience. <laughs> None of you guys have ever had anything like that. Well, with marriage, you have your expectations, and then your expectations aren't met. We have people that will call us a couple of weeks after being married. Can we annul our marriage? I don't want to be married anymore. (laughs) The answer is no. We don't have annulment for your marriage. But then marriage becomes something you never thought it would be. I was married for 30 years with Lisa, and that marriage became something that was far beyond what my expectations were. I had expectations, but it was far greater than that. The Christian life is like that. When God says, follow me, give up everything and follow me. And we begin to follow him. And then we learn, boy, this is difficult and it's hard. And people mock me and people judge me because I'm a Christian. And it's difficult and it's tough. But I tell you what, you hang in there. And you are going to a place that is far beyond, far greater than anything that you have ever thought. Even if you don't experience it here, you will experience it. And that's what Abraham did. It says in verse nine, by faith, he dwelt in a land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him in the same promise. For he waited for a city whose foundations, whose builder and maker was God. His nephew Lot went and moved into the city of Sodom, but Abraham didn't want to move there because he was an alien. He was a foreigner. He was a pilgrim. He lived in tents and he traveled around because he didn't belong in any of those cities. And the truth is you and I are called to be lights in the midst of this city, but we don't belong in this city. This isn't our home. You ever look at the news or watch what happens or hear some judgment that some judge makes and go, I don't understand it. I don't understand this world. What's going on? What are they doing? Where are they going? What's going on with this world? You ever feel that way? Good. You're supposed to. If you said to me, I'm 100% comfortable with this world, I love it, I love all the politics, I love everything going on in the world. If you said that, I'm gonna say, oh, yeah, you got some problems with your faith. No, I'm not saying if you like politics that you got problems with your faith, but I think you do. But anyway, that's, <laughs> that's my opinion, all right? I'm not saying that, you know, biblically. I'm just saying, all right? But here's the truth. We're only passing through. And if we're only passing through, then we're not too connected to this world. And I see it regularly. This is not my home. And when I see the news or hear the news, I go, this is not my home. I don't understand why people do what they do. I don't understand what's going on in the world. And I often say, if I were running things, and I don't know whether you guys would be happy to have me run things or not, but I often say, if I were running things, things would run a whole lot different. And I have a feeling you say the same thing because we are not from here. We're aliens. You might not have a finger that lights up and say, E.T., phone home, but you're an alien nevertheless. (laughs) You don't belong here. Another did Abraham. Now, Sarah also received it says in verse 11 by faith sarah herself also received strength to conceive and she bore a child when she was past the age what does the past the age mean she had gone through menopause she was past the age in fact she was 89 years old when she conceived and it says she was past the age but she bore a child because she judged him faithful who had promised It wasn't about Sarah grabbing something that God had never promised her. Faith is receiving God's promises. Faith isn't getting something God hasn't promised. She believed that God was faithful for what he had promised. Well, when did God promise this? Well, Abraham was hanging out in his tent and I think it was a place called Mamre. And all of a sudden, two angels and the Lord come in the form of men. And they hang out with Abraham in the porch of his tent. Sarah prepares a meal for him. And then she's back in the tent, but she's listening to what the guys are saying outside. So all of a sudden, the Lord says to Abraham, when I come back by this time next year, Sarah, your wife, 89 years old, past the age of childbearing, is going to have a child. The Bible says Sarah's inside the tent, she laughs. You'd probably laugh too, you're 89 years old. (laughs) You're gonna have a child in a year. (laughs) Really, what are you thinking? And so the Lord said to Abraham, why'd your wife laugh? And from inside the tent, Sarah says, I didn't laugh. And God says, oh, yes, you did. She's 89 years old. And it says, by faith, she received. By faith, she received. What does it mean that she receives? All of a sudden, I don't know what it took. I don't know. She's laying there at night, and all of a sudden, she goes, God's gonna give me a kid. And if God's gonna give me a kid, I gotta get together with the old man. (laughs) And all of a sudden, she says, Abraham, come here. (laughs) He's 100. What? (laughs) What are you talking about? Now God had to do a work in both of them, because she's gone through menopause, and he has his problems. And if you don't believe me, look at the next verse. It says in verse 12, "...therefore from one man, and him as good as dead." (laughs) That's what it says. Now, I hope I don't have to explain what him as good as dead is, all right? Sarah, come on over here, honey. What? Come on. She has faith to believe, and they conceive, and all of a sudden, Sarah, 89 years old, has a baby bun, has a baby bubble, all of a sudden showing. 89 years old. I don't know. Can you picture that, 89-year-old woman? Baby (laughs) bun. What it looks like anyway. I don't know. I, I don't get it. And then nine months pregnant, a 90-year-old woman? When, when my wife was pregnant with our first child, I had an upholstery shop, and I, one of the things that I did to supplement our income was fix cars up and sell them. And I had gotten an MG Midget. Do you guys remember those cars? Now, there was a small MG Midget, and there was a smaller MG Midget, a little roadster. And I'd gotten the smaller of the MG Midgets, and I'd had it completely redone and was having some trouble selling it. So I sold Lisa's car, and she drove the Midget. She's nine months pregnant. Get, I got a picture of her getting into the car when she's nine months pregnant with Jessica. It's a pretty funny picture. <laughs> but could you imagine a 90-year-old, preg, nine-month pregnant woman getting into the car, hey, what it would look like, or trying to sit down, right? Not making fun of you gals who are nine months pregnant, but you look funny when you're trying to sit down. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna sit down now. Imagine, I'm sure Sarah's like, just pile them up on a wall, i lean, okay? <laughs> and then she has the child. And she names the baby Isaac, and the name means laughter. We laugh with her, we laugh at her. (laughs) But she laughed because she had a kid. For 90 years, she was barren. Now, in our day and age, not having children doesn't mean nothing. There is no stigma to a woman who doesn't have kids, but there was in their day. In their day, it meant something and she had lived with being barren in their day for 90 years. And now she had that little baby, and it brought laughter into their home, and it brought joy into their home. And they received it because she believed. She believed and received, and God did a work in them. Now it says, therefore, verse 12: From one man, and him being as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Abraham never saw that. Abraham believed it by faith and received it. He became the father of of the whole nation of Israel and the majority of the Arab peoples. But he never saw it. He had a couple sons, Ishmael, who he had, the child of the flesh, which he had before God gave him Isaac and then Isaac. And after Sarah died, he remarried and had a few more kids. God fixed him, fixed him for good. And he had a few more kids along the line before he finally died. His son, Isaac, had a couple kids, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob had 12 kids. And Jacob had about 100, what's 149, I think, if I remember my numbers right. He had 149 kids. So they were on their way, but he never saw it. You may never see the result of your faith. You may see it from afar off. You may believe what God's going to do, but never see it. Look at verse 13. These all died in faith not having received the promise, but having seen them from afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Do you confess that you're a stranger and a pilgrim on this earth? Just looking out at you now. Are you a pilgrim and a stranger here? Are you a pilgrim? I just had to throw that out there. A little John Wayne, I just couldn't help it anymore. Are you a stranger here? Really? I mean, or is this earth your home? It's not. You think, but you confess it. Do you tell your children this isn't where we belong? We have a heavenly country. We have a city prepared for us. Jesus said, I'm going away, and if I go away, I go to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back and get you that where I am, there you may be also. God has prepared a place for me. I, uh, during our conference, I hung out a little bit with Levi Lesko. Just a few days after Lisa went to be with the Lord in December, his little girl had an asthma attack and she died. So we were talking together and we were just kind of hurting together. you know there's some people going through things and you don't have to say I know what you're going through. you just know that they do." And we were talking and he said, "I, I wonder where she's at. I wonder where she's at up in heaven now and who's taking care of her?" And you kind of broke my heart. You kind of see the heart of a father whose little girl has gone to heaven and Who's taking care of her? And we just began to talk about passages we know. God preparing a place and God clothing us in heaven. And we found comfort in the pages of scripture of God preparing a place. God's prepared a place for you. He's prepared a place for me.
0: Pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com.